Good morning. How is everybody this morning? It's great to see you guys. Uh, and all those who are joining us online, for those of you who don't know, my name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Life Church, along with my wife Tanya, and we serve alongside pastors Mike and Ann Schroeder. It's such a blessing and an honor to be here. We're so grateful that God has called us here. I can't even tell you how many times we've looked at each other throughout the week and go, can you please get to do this? I mean, this is just, it's, it's amazing. We're so grateful for what God is doing. And, and this morning, church, we have the opportunity to kick off a brand new sermon series. And one of the things that we value here at Life Church is the Word of God. We say this, we say we value the Word of God and we will build our lives on His Word. And so one of the things that we will do intentionally at Life Church is we're going to preach the Word of God. You don't need my opinion. There's enough opinions out there. Amen? There's enough opinions out there right now. You don't need my opinion. We need the eternal Word of God to work in us. So you might say, well, why a book study? Well, today we're actually starting a book study, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. The title of our series is, uh, where is the title of our series? Grace and glory i get it mixed up it's glory and grace or grace and glory and it could be either way and it's all good but it is grace and glory somebody say grace and glory grace and glory this is going to be a nine-part series and we're going to go through the book of ephesians and i believe that as we do that it's going to bless your life and you say well why do we do book studies because we believe in the whole counsel of god we believe that the word of god says this in, in isaiah 28 it says for precept must be upon precept Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That it's the whole counsel of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Listen, church, the society that we live in today, there are so many opinions. You are being bombarded with truths that are flying at you from everywhere. And church, we need a foundation that is firm. We need a foundation that is solid. Amen? And we find that foundation in the Word of God. And there's something I've learned about foundations and about houses, is if you're building yourself a house, if you're building something, if you take shortcuts... Is going to come back to bite you later on. So we don't want to take any shortcuts. We want to build our lives upon the whole Word of God. And this is what it says in Ephesians, the, the, the book that we're going to be studying. It says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but the tr by the trickery of men in the cunning and crafting, craftiness of deceitful plotting. This idea of the wind of doctrine, you know, blowing us all over the place. How are we going to fight in the day that we're facing the wind of doctrine? We've got different opinions flying at us, going back and forth. We're going to fight by going back to the foundation which is the Word of God. We build our lives on His Word. And what does the Word do? It tells us the direction that we need to go. When those winds come, now I'm not, I'm not a ship captain. We have one here, and he would probably tell me better you know, how I do this. But, but what you need to do when those winds come is you need to know where you need to be and where you need to go. You need a direction, and that's what the Word of God gives us. It gives us the direction. It tells us where to go, and it helps us to align our lives in a godly way. Amen? 
Amen. So this morning, we're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians. We're going to geek out a little bit here at the beginning. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background to the book. Then actually what we're going to do is we're going to dive right in. And this morning, we're going to be going through Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. And I I haven't, I shouldn't say this, but I haven't done it this way before, but I felt like God wanted us to go through this line by line. And God's given me a great word for us this morning. We're going to go through the word line by line and unpack the things that God is speaking to us today. And this morning, the title of my message is the title of our series, and it is Grace and Glory. Grace and Glory. Are you guys with me? You ready to do a little bit of digging here? Are you ready to learn and to grow? And let's be ready. Online, are you with me? Can I get an amen online? Can I get uh, a response? Can you put down your cinnamon bun for a moment and pick up your Bible, please? Uh, We're going to be going to Ephesians. And if if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. But before we dive into this book, um, I want to tell you a little bit about it. The book of Ephesians, uh, the author is generally agreed to be the Apostle Paul. Uh, it is, at the very beginning, his name is the first thing that's in the book, is Paul. Uh, however, there is a little bit of controversy surrounding that. There always has to be a good controversy. But generally, most people agree that this book was written by the Apostle Paul. It was likely written by him while he was in prison in Rome. And he had appealed to Caesar. And he wrote a number of epistles while he was in Rome, uh, including Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, as well as this book of Ephesians. Uh, probably around the time of 60 to 61 AD. Who was it written to? Traditionally, it was written to the church of Ephesus. Um, But there's a few things within the text that cause us to pause and wonder about that. Um, One of the things is that unlike many of the other epistles that Paul wrote, this book in particular did not contain a lot of personal notes. And that was something that Paul would often do when he would write, is he would write a personal note to somebody. He'd say, hey, can you say hi to this person? Can you reach out to this person and let him know this? And, you know, can you get this person to get this for me? And he would send a little personal note along in his letter. This book doesn't have that. Um, and so it leads some people to wonder, you know, what, who, was this, who was this written for? There's a thought that this book might have been written as a letter, and it was called a circular letter where it would go around the churches in that, er- in that area, and that it might have ended up in Ephesus. And so when they gathered the, the letters of Paul to add them into the canon of Scripture, um, they called it the book of Ephesus, or the book to Ephesus. Now, all this doesn't really matter. It's just interesting background and history. But it is the book to the Ephesians. Now, about Ephesus, Ephesus was a, a major center in that time. It was a port city, and there was a major church there. Paul actually spent about three years of his life in Ephesus uh, alongside of Timothy, and uh, I believe John spent some time there as well. The book, what's it about? Well, to summarize it, Tim Mackey in the Bible Project says that in the Ephesians, Paul summarizes the whole gospel story, how it should reshape every part of our story. Michael DeFazio says it this way, Ephesians is a celebration of Christ's saving power. William Barclay, the great theologian, says the central thought of Ephesians is the realization of the disunity in the universe and the conviction that it can become, uni- it can, can become unity only when everything is united in Christ. Only when everything is united in Christ. So what we have, you guys, in the book of Ephesians that we're about to dive into this morning is a celebration of the gospel. 
It's a celebration of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And this theme runs throughout the entire book. If we were to look at this, and, and a lot of people talk about this book being broken down into three different parts, and everybody's kind of got their take on that. Um, my favorite one that I found was by a guy named Watchman Nee, who uh, was a, a very famous Christian author, and uh, he wrote that he believed that this is broken into three parts, and it has to do with our posture. The first one is sitting, the second one is walking, and the third one is standing. And it says it this way, in chapters 1 through 3, it's about how we are seated together in Christ. Uh, in, in chapters 4 uh, through 6 to 9, six, nine it's about our walk in, in Christ, how we actually live that out. So the first one's about our position in Him. The second one is about practically how we live that out. And then the last part is about how we stand before God, how we stand. So it's a sitting, walking, standing. We're going to see that as we get into the Word of God here this morning. Okay, now, there's a scripture that we're going to use and come back to throughout this entire series. And it's kind of the, the big thought, the big scripture for the whole series of this idea of grace and glory. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. And this is what it says. Now, to him who is able... To do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Right in that passage, right in that verse is encapsulated our big idea behind this, this series. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Who's doing it? God is. It's God who's working in us. It's God who's, who's bringing us. It's God who's called us. It's God who's enabling us to do his will. And that's this idea of grace. That God is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. What's the power that works in us? It's his presence. It's his Holy Spirit that will lead us home. It's his Holy Spirit that is working in you today. It's his Holy Spirit that drew you here this morning. It's his Holy Spirit that is working in you. It's the grace of God. And what's it for? What's the grace for? It's for salvation, but why? So that he would get the glory. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So it's the grace of God that works in your life and he's changing you and he's making you new and he's bringing you into a new place. And that grace is working in you even today. And what's it for? Is it for you? Is it for your glory? Is it you can say, hey, look how great I am. I go to church every Sunday. Check me out. No. It's for the glory of God. It's all for His glory. And so we give it back to Him. Come on, we glorify Him and we magnify Him. It's grace and it's glory. Okay, are you ready to dive in to this book? You guys with me? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. <laughs> Sorry, before we get there. Let's summarize this particular section. 
Well, the section that we're about to read, it is said this way by Michael DeFazio, who is a, uh, a professor of New Testament theology. He says, all of God has been working throughout all of time to save all of you. All of God has been working throughout all of time to save all of you. If we were to summarize these first 14 verses, that's how we would summarize it. And I love how he says this. He says, this first part here is, um, is a passage, and it's an intel- intelligent call to worship. This first part that we're about to read is Paul's uh, cry to worship. It's a, it's a, it's if, if, if Paul was a songwriter, this is the song that he would have written. And how many know that worship is more than a song? Worship is doing whatever God has given you to do for His glory. So we got worshipers today that are in the back running our online service, and they're doing it for His glory. We've got worshipers today that came and set up some chairs, but they're doing it for His glory. We got worshipers that showed up at 8 o'clock this morning to help us set up the, the sound, but it's an act of worship for His glory. We have worshipers here who go teach school every day, but they're doing it for His glory. We have worshipers here who, 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 who raise a family, but they're doing it for His glory. Amen? And this is Paul. What, what is Paul good at? What is he really good at? I don't know if he could sing. You know, actually, there's, there's a part in the Bible that kind of talks about maybe having a little bit of a nasally voice or something like that that was annoying to listen to. He kind of is like self-deprecating in one of his passages, in one of his letters. Hey, I don't know if you, you know, I'm not the greatest orator and yada yada. Maybe he wasn't great at singing, but what he was great at is he was a wordsmith who had a deep intellectual understanding of who God was. And he had a revelation to share with the world. And so Acts' act of worship, he wrote, and this first part here is like a worship song where Paul is calling us to, to respond to God and to worship Him. And, and there's 14 verses. After we get through verse 1 and 2, the introduction, we get into verse 3. And one of the reasons that we're doing this section together is because from verse 3 to verse 14, it's actually the largest run-on sentence in the New Testament. For all those that are you know, grammatically inclined, this might bother you. But it won't show up in the English because it was only in the Greek that this was the case. But that entire portion was Paul saying, hey, here's my introduction. Now let me tell you about who God is and what he's done in your life. And he just goes off. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about that this morning. Okay, you guys ready? So here's my main thought today. We are saved by grace through faith for his glory. This theme is going to come back all throughout the scripture as we read it this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. This is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So right off the top here, Paul is deferring and recognizing the grace of God that's on his life. Paul, an apostle... Why? Because I have a doctorate in theology, and also I spent time in the Sanhedrin, and I've traveled extensively speaking about Jesus. Therefore, obviously, I am an apostle. No! Paul, an apostle. Why? By the grace of God. 
It's all by His grace. Why can you have confidence in your position in Christ? It's because of what He has done in you and through you. And so therefore, you can walk confident in that because of what He has done. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. Okay, under His authority. This is what he says, to the saints who are one in Ephesus and number two, faithful in Christ Jesus. So here we've got two locations. We have a physical location that he's recognizing in Ephesus. But then we have a theological location, which is you are in Ephesus, but you are also in Christ. See, you're, you're in your physical location, but you're also in Christ. And where you set your mind, by the way, will determine how you live your life. So church, we could be here today. You are in White Rock. You are in White Rock Christian Academy this morning. You're at Life Church. In Life Church. But my question for you this morning is, are you in Christ? Are you in Him? Are you in Him? So there's these two locations in the primary location. I loved the language that Pastor Mike used a couple weeks back. I just love this language of our primary identity. You know, like, I'm, um, I'm a father, but my primary identity is follower of Jesus. I- I'm a husband, but my primary identity is follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor, but my primary identity, pastor doesn't make me awesome or get me into heaven, by the way. My primary identity is follower of Jesus. You might be in construction, but is your primary identity follower of Jesus? Are you in construction and in Christ? Are you in retirement and in Christ? Are you, are you with me? Do you see what I'm saying? Where's your primary identity? Where's your primary location? And Paul is calling us to live in Christ. In Christ. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your soul. The Bible talks about us as being strangers and aliens in the land. That this is, this is our natural and physical home, but our real home is here in Christ. You are right now seated with him in heavenly places. Are you in Christ follower of Jesus. All right, moving on. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2. We got a lot to get through. Let's go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Question. Where does the peace come from? His Spirit. Grace to you and peace from where? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I'll just say this about this idea. Throughout history, and even today, both individually and in society, we as humanity have been seeking peace. It's the great thing within us that we long for, is to experience this sense. And and the the biblical idea of peace is is like wholeness. It's the idea of shalom coming back into rightness in our minds, in our spirits, in our hearts. 
and in our communities. And so what do we do is we try to create these governmental systems that will bring us this, this, this desired peace. We try and do these, these self-help books so that we can find this desired peace. But here Paul is telling us where we find peace. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through him. It's, that's the thing that we actually long for. That's the thing that our hearts are stirred after. It's him where we find that wholeness. Amen? Okay, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, listen, I love, this is it. This is where he's calling us to worship. He's kind of set it off with a little bit of an introduction to say, hey, listen, hey, it's Paul. Uh, You're in Ephesus. You're in Christ. There's peace that I want for you to experience, but it comes by Jesus Christ. It comes through him, and and I'm going to pray that that comes to you, and you experience that peace. And now, now everybody, now that I've said hi, and I've kind of given you a little bit of an introduction, let me just say this. All praise to the Lord Most High. This is his song. This is where it's kicking off. All praise to the one who saved my life. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why should we praise him? And now Paul's about to testify. Paul's about to tell us, why do we need to get excited about this? Why do we need to praise him? What's the reason that we have to lift him up? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Because we are united with Christ. Here it is. This is he's kicking it off. This is the introduction to his song. Why do we need to praise him? So here's the question today. What are the blessings that he's talking about? And over these next 10 chapters, verses, I think it's 10, we're going to find out what those are. And we're going to try and skim through these. I do want to honor your time, but we're going to get through them. Okay, are you with me? Here we go. Number one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him to love. That's the first one. We are chosen. Number one, chosen. God knows you. God knows you, and he has chosen you. And I love how J.D. Greer says it. He says, God didn't choose us because we are lovely, but we become lovely because he chooses us. When it says that you are chosen here in the scriptures, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That means that he chose you even before you had done anything. Even before you had sinned or fallen short of his glory, even before uh, you had, 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 um, had that shameful experience in your life, he chose you. And he chose you, not just the person beside you. You know, you can, you can look at the person beside you. Why don't we do this? Look at the person beside you and say, he chose you. God chose you. Number one is you are chosen. We're not going to unpack all these, otherwise we're going to run out of time. So we're going to keep going. Number two. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The idea here is the, is the idea of adoption, but goodness me, we need to step on that landmine that is predestination. And so I'm just going to make a quick comment about that, okay? 
and then we're going to move on from that, okay? Um, and I'm just going to say this. You're like, what is he going to say about this? Um, predestined. Um, I, if you're not familiar with the study of the scriptures, when this word comes up, um, this word has caused some major rifts within the body of Christ in the last number of centuries. Um, and why is that? Because some people view this idea as being an idea that, um, that God chooses certain people before time to be saved, and he chooses certain people before time that are going to be judged. Um, it's this idea always of the, the balance between um, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And it has led to much, uh, 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 you can imagine, discussion and arguments and, um, and, and differings in opinions. Um, that's what some people believe, is that that's what this is referring to. There's another take on this idea in this particular scripture, and that is this, that when they're talking about predestination, they're not talking about necessarily the individuals who God has given a free will, but they're talking about the situation with, in which they can find themselves. So in this case, it says that they are predestined for what? For adoption. That there's going to be a, a system set up so that people can come to God and they can become a new creation. We're going to ex- explain what that adoption looks like in just a moment. But they can come to him and they become a new creation. It'd be like this. It'd be like if I said, hey, next Sunday at Life Church, everybody that comes, we're going to predestine that we're going to set up this system that if you come to church on Sunday, everybody gets a Frisbee. And so you're like, wow, that's amazing. And you're like, who gets the Frisbee? I, I, I don't know. But everybody that comes is, is going to get one. By the way, there's no Frisbees next Sunday, just so we're clear. That could get me in trouble. But that's the idea, okay? We've, we've predestined, we've predetermined that there's a Frisbee in place and that, um, and that we're going to give that to, to whoever shows up on, on Sunday. So if they choose to come, we're going to be ready for them. And it's, it's set up in, in advance so that they'll, we'll be ready to receive them when they come. Do you understand that? That would be another way of looking at it. Now, what do we need to do with this? Not much. Okay, not much. And, and I want to tell you why. There's, there's a verse here in um, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, it's, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed and belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What do we need to do? Come on. Whenever there's something in the Bible that grabs your attention, and is a mystery to you, you know what that ought to do? Turn us back to Jesus. Because ultimately, we can't figure this whole thing out on our own. We need God to come and work in us. We turn our hearts back to Him. We, regardless of how this is set up, it doesn't matter because the ultimate truth is that God has called you and that you are here today because He's called you. So this idea of predestined us to what? To adoption. He set up this system. He set up this thing. He said, listen, we're going we're gonna to have this adoption. And whoever comes to me can be adopted into my family. Whoever comes. The Bible says that he wishes that all men would be saved and come to salvation. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His call is for all people. That means that everyone can come to him and can know him. And they have a choice to seek his face. Amen? Amen. Adopted. What does that mean? Well, in Roman culture, see, we we understand adopted in our North American culture and context. But in order for us to understand what Paul was meaning when he wrote this, we have to understand a little bit about the context of the time and era that he was living in. 
And in the Roman era, uh, in that culture, adoption was a common way of carrying on the family line if there was no heir. And so there was a whole system involved in this. There was like a, a, a ceremony that would happen, an adoption type of ceremony. And there was, there was officials that were involved, and it had to be submitted to the government. And there was, there was a whole system that involved buying and selling. And, and, and the, the original father or parent would have to disown their son so that the son could now be adopted into a brand new family. And I love how it says it in the commentary of William Barclay. It says this, when adoption was complete... It was complete indeed. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new was he that even all his debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. Now do you understand why Paul's so excited about this idea of adoption? Can you see it? When you are adopted into the family of God, it is as if those old things are no longer relevant and they no longer exist. You are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, um, All things for for God has reconciled us to himself and given us a ministry of reconciliation. You are a new creation. What does it mean when we say adoption? Think about it this way. New creation. Somebody say, you say, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. Moving on. So we've got chosen. We've got adopted. We've got, uh, the next one is Ephesians chapter 1 through 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, this is where Paul just takes a quick praise break. He's going through his list and he just has to stop and say, isn't that awesome? This is so great. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, today, I'm adopted in Him. Listen, church, that's, that's true for you today. Can I just declare that over you? That's true for you today. You are a new creation in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so he has to take a praise break. And he says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Oh, it's God's grace that's leading the way. we got to just talk a little bit about this idea of glory and grace because that is our subject after all. And the idea of glory here is the word doxa, and it refers to splendor or brightness. And one of the places that you see it in the New Testament is um, uh, it says that when the angels of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's God's glory that can't be hidden. It's the light of the world that shines through you. And this idea of grace, I love Max Lucado says it this way, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. It's his grace. It's his grace. God called you. He chose you. He set you apart by his grace. And what is it for? For his glory. All right, moving on. We're doing good. Ephesians. Oh, there's actually one in there. Ha <laughs> ha. Accepted. Number three is accepted. Number, was it number four? Oops. Got my numbers mixed up. Okay, number four. Accepted. So, this is what it says. Romans 3.27. Can we boast, then, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? And the answer is no. Because our acquittal is not based on obedience, but being the law, but it's based on faith. Ah. <sighs> 
Church, we are accepted by God just as we are. We can come to him just as we are. Do you know that God loves us enough that he won't leave us that way? He'll help us to continue to grow and to respond to him with repentance and a heart that is soft towards him so that he can make us into the creation and the person that he wants us to be. And we are saved, we are saved, and we're being saved. God is saving us even now. He's working in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Accepted. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This one is the idea of redemption or redeemed. This is bought out of slavery. This idea is the idea of a slave in chains who is helpless and is hopeless and is stuck and cannot get out. And the Redeemer comes and pays the price to free the slave. It's a word used for ransoming a man who is a prisoner of war or a slave for freeing a man from the penalty of death. And you could get that image of a slave, somebody that's chained, that's stuck, that's in shame and, 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 and cannot, cannot, for the, cannot fend for themselves, cannot fight for themselves. And the Redeemer comes and pays the price for that slave and says, you are now free. You can go. That's us. We were the slave. The Bible calls, tells us that we were slaves to sin. That we were stuck in that state and there was nothing that we could do. We were hopeless and enemies of God. And yet God came by his amazing grace and sent his son to die for our sins and pay the price for us so that we could be set free through him. That's the idea of redemption. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He set us free. Number five, forgiveness. We were forgiven. That's number six, pardon me. Number six, forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. We are forgiven. Church, today you can ask God for forgiveness. If there's anything in your life that has been standing between you and him and you know it's there, you can say, God, would you please forgive me? And this is the promise of God that he would forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Number six, wisdom and understanding. Number seven, pardon me. Thank you, Tanya. Keep me on track. Ephesians 1.8, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. This idea is wisdom and understanding. It's the gift of God towards us. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Moving on, Ephesians 1.9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. The next one is revelation. God reveals his truths. God shares his secrets with those he loves. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are things that are beyond our comprehension. Why? Because our God is far beyond our comprehension. Do you know in the Bible, in, in Revelation, it says that the angels stand before the throne of God singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the Bible says that they just do it continually over and over and over again. You might be like, man, that is the most boring sounding thing in the entire planet. If I had to say the same thing over and over and over again, man, that would get so old. But here's a thought. 
Our God is so great and so mighty and so righteous that the revelation of His holiness will never end. That you can say the word holy and you can get an understanding of what that means. Oh my word, that's what that means. And you could say holy again, and you could get a new revelation about what that means. And then you could say holy again and get a new revelation of what that means. And your mind is constantly blown by the greatness of God. That's how great our God is. And He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. He has given us the spirit of revelation and speaks into us and reveals His truths to us. Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, He might gather together... Sorry, I'm going fast. In one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. This one is unity in Christ. John 17, 21. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you and I are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. The gift here is the gift and the blessing of unity. That the one who unites us is greater than the things that divide. Amen? The one who unites us is greater than pro-vax, anti-vax. Amen? The one who unites us... I'm going to stop right there. I'm getting myself in trouble. Y'all are getting nervous. Where is he going with this? We're just going to stop. There's some wisdom. See, God gives us wisdom and understanding. So we're just going to use that right now to stop. Unity in Christ. God unifies us. Ephesians 1.11. Moving on. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here it is. We are given an inheritance. And what is that inheritance? What is that thing that God has given us? We're given an inheritance in heaven. We're given an inheritance in heaven. See, we are saved by grace for His glory. And then Ephesians 1.12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. We trusted in him. Why? Because he was gracious to us. We trusted in him because his grace has allowed us to trust in him. And what is it for? It's all for his glory. And here's the last one, and we're going to end right here. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So Paul ends his great song, his intellectual song of praise to God by telling us another truth, and that is this. We are sealed. The Holy Spirit has sealed us And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Jude chapter 124, now all glory to God. Why did he get all the glory? Because it's not up to us to work this out. 
who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Now, if we know ourselves well enough, I think we could all agree that if we tried to do that on our own, okay, here's the mission, everybody. From here on in, everybody is perfect, right? Okay, no more sinning, no more backbiting, unforgiveness, it's gone. And we are just going to be holy for the rest of our lives, and then we will access the kingdom of God. How many know that we can't do it? We will fail. One of my favorite scriptures is in 1 Corinthians 6, I think it is, where it says this. It lists this bunch of sins, and, it, and they're, they're pretty epic sins that they list. But then at the end of it, he says this. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified just as by the Spirit of God. Church, we will all fall short of his glory, but his grace is sufficient for us. His grace is sufficient to carry us through, and he has sealed us in him. And if you're wondering this morning, do I belong to him? You belong to him. He has sealed you in his hand, and you belong to him, and he is able to keep you falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. So we have a list. We have a list. And this is it. We are chosen. We're adopted. We're accepted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We have wisdom and understanding. God has given us revelation. We have unity in Christ. We are given an inheritance. And we are sealed. So here's my question as we close today. Is this list in Ephesus? Or is it in Christ? Because what I see in this list is something that is in the heart of every human being. See, in Ephesus, everybody wants to feel special. In Ephesus, everybody wants to be a part of something bigger that matters. In Ephesus, everybody wants to feel belonging and wants to be free from their vices. Everybody wants to live with a clear conscience. And we're into wisdom and understanding. We have a huge self-help industry that's all about this idea of getting wisdom and understanding. Everybody wants to have an understanding of what is reality. Man, there's all sorts of different understandings of reality floating around out there right now. Everybody wants to live in community with a common goal. Everybody wants to have treasure. And everybody wants to keep it forever. But what God is offering us is that we have that in Him. In Him. You have that. I'm going to go back to that idea that I read earlier when we talked about being chosen. God didn't choose us because we're lovely, but we become lovely because he chooses us. All these things that we've listed today are not things that you need to work up. That's what Paul is saying. These are things that God has granted to us, and we are becoming who he's called us to be. We are growing in our relationship with him. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, we are saved by grace, through faith, for His glory. Amen? 
for His glory.